Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to Grief Is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as Mark Lemon Official on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. For this episode, I speak with author, podcaster and journalist, Anarchy Somerville. Anarchy speaks with me about the death of her father and how it shaped her outlook on life. You can find Anarchy on Instagram as Anarchy Somerville. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so as mentioned in my introduction, today I am speaking with author, podcaster and journalist, Anarchy Somerville. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm, um, I'm currently staring at a large amount of washing sort of hanging up um, at the bottom of my bed. Um, the only thing I've said about being in lockdown is that I don't have one of those beautifully kind of curated studies. So I, I kind of work on my bed. Um, so yeah, I'm sort of... I'm thinking perhaps I need to have a slightly better view. (laughs) Well, you know, I can match you with that. I'm currently sat in the kitchen looking at my own washing, uh, which is drying. And then I'm looking at a load of washing up, which needs to be done. So, you know, this is lockdown podcasting. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's just the reality. Yeah, it is. um, So for the listeners, would you be happy to introduce yourself and what you do and all that stuff, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, I had a very long career sort of working in market research, actually, and then took voluntary redundancy. I think that was about probably four years ago. And I'd been blogging quite a lot. And I'd been working with Molly Gunn of Selfish Mother. And I started sort of writing in earnest and sort of wrote my first fiction book, which was called Motherwhelmed. Um, And then started a podcast, um, which was called The Hotbed, which was with my friend Lisa Williams and Cherry Healy. And and that was all about kind of sex and relationships. 
And I guess, I mean, I suppose, I don't know what the term is, but I think basically I sort of started hitting my stride in my sort of early 40s. So I'd sort of spent a lot of time probably feeling a bit dissatisfied with what I was doing with my life and then suddenly discovered writing and really started dedicating myself to that in earnest. Um, And so since then, I've sort of written another three books and I've got a podcast of my own, which I started in lockdown um, at the, I suppose it was around March actually last year. And it's funny, like I, I talk a lot about kind of women and I suppose and men sort of finding their identities in their in their forties and fifties, and and that's something I'm quite passionate about. I, I think I, I spent a lot of my life sort of trying to be a people pleaser and sort of trying to follow the traditional roots of you know what I thought success meant. You know, having money, having a really good job, having status, and essentially not being very happy. Um, so I'm much happier now um, because I feel like I'm sort of finally discovering the stuff that I enjoy doing yeah well that sounds amazing I mean I'm 42 and you know you, you do get to that point where you're like okay you know what next maybe um, and not being put off by things because of your age I think is hugely important um, and then, yeah. yeah exactly and not letting um I mean, it's that kind of inner chatter, isn't it? The negative kind of voice in your head, which sort of often tells you that you can't do certain things. Yeah. Um, and and one of the one of the positive things that came out of lockdown for me was that I had to do things on my own. So you know, with doing the podcast, I do have someone who helps me with it, but I couldn't go into a studio. I, I ended up recording it, you know, as we are sort of you know at home. And um, I thought, you know what, I can do this, you know, (laughs) you know, So it kind of forced me to do things that traditionally I probably would have said I couldn't do. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I mean, with the podcast before I was traveling about and I was sitting with people on park benches and, you know, we were, you know, we were less than two meters away from each other. But, but, but obviously being in lockdown, it pushed me into having to interview people remotely but then also on the flip side, it's 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 opened opportunities with speaking to people in other countries, which is incredible. So, um, you know, it has there has been some good out of this. Um, okay, and so obviously today we're talking about grief, and I was just wondering whether you'd be happy to share with the listeners about your own experience with grief, please. Yeah. So. Um... Uh, I sort of had uh, an experience when I was a teenager. So I was about, I suppose I was 14, going on 15. And unfortunately, my stepmom committed suicide. And she, um, she, I mean, it's quite a traumatic story. So it's kind of, she had postnatal psychosis. And I had a half sister who was um, still a baby, only sort of five or six months. And um, she jumped off a building and they both died um, at the same time. So really traumatic event um, that happened early on. And I think um, that sort of shaped, uh, it's only I can look back on that now and sort of think that shaped a lot of my life. I sort of felt very reticent to sort of change anything. I really wanted stability. I was very scared that I would lose people again Um and I developed a very close relationship with my dad. Um, you know, I've lived with him on and off throughout my life. My, my parents are separated and he'd obviously settled down um, again. And uh, we've always been very, very close. And then last year, just at the beginning of lockdown, he died um, unexpectedly. So he had an aneurysm and just collapsed and died on a Friday and unfortunately had to go to hospital on his own and have surgery on his own. And, you know, nobody could go and see him. Um, and and so that just totally 
I think the problem was is that I'd not really processed that earlier grief. You know, I, I'd kind of just buried it somewhere and hoped that I'd, you know, whenever I didn't really talk about it, um, I, I, it was very difficult to talk about because the minute I brought it up, people didn't know what to say. So I kind of concealed it. And so when my dad died a lot, not only did I sort of feel like I was mourning his loss, which was, which was awful. I was also mourning that other loss because you know that that had been a family unit that I'd been part of and I and they'd all gone you know now all of those people had gone and I was the only one that was sort of carrying it felt like I was the only one who was carrying that story um within and then the problem was then is that my my um stepmom you know my my dad's you know more recent partner I then started to receive all of his old belongings and then tied up with all of those belongings were my stepmom's belongings and photos and so it kind of felt a bit like a tsunami of grief, you know, because it was like, oh, my God, I'm just receiving all this stuff, which I'd really tried to sort of squash into a, a, a suitcase. And it was kind of bursting out on the seam. So I think the last sort of 12 months, have, have, they've been really challenging. Um, and I think, you know, before we started recording, I was saying one route that I've gone down, which I've found helpful, has been kind of writing a lot and getting lost in sort of quite a lot of busyness and I've got quite young children so it's it, I, I know you'll probably um, come on to this but with grief sometimes the feelings are so uncomfortable that you seek you, you seek escape from them and I think for me whenever they feel like they're getting too uncomfortable there's always something that I've got to do you know which I think it is helpful, but then sometimes I worry that I'm still not processing it properly, mm, you know? Yeah. Well, f firstly, I'm so sorry to hear what you went through when you were 14. And, you know, and secondly, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your, your father. Um, you know, two, two sort of traumatic experiences that, you know, obviously shaped who you are today. And, you know, I, I can resonate in terms of, you, you know experiencing that when you're 14 and like you said struggling to know how to talk about it you know particularly because of the manner that it happened and yeah it's it's such a struggle isn't it I mean my my dad was murdered and so you wouldn't be sitting at a dinner table <laughs> openly telling people about this story because you you feel it's not it's not something that you feel you can share you know and you don't want to maybe upset those people you know and so you, you 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 do lock it away and you do sort of put it in the corners of your mind because you, you that's where you feel it's best and you keep yourself busy. Um, so yeah, talk, keeping busy, like you say, and 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 having that opportunity to just stop isn't something that you really think about, is it? No, and it's it's funny. Like I've almost um, while we were in. Um, you know, in the in the full lockdown periods, the kids were always at home um, all the time. And so I I almost, I don't, you know, I sort of felt that I wasn't thinking about, certainly my dad, losing my dad, I was kind of not thinking about it. The weird thing is as well, is that because we've not been seeing relatives, it didn't really feel like it had happened, you know. So I was doing this kind of obsessive, I mean, he used to text me a lot, very long texts. He loves texts and he was kind of, those texts, until recently, they were still all on my phone, and I kept reading the texts, and then I would listen to voicemails that he'd, he'd recorded, and I'd almost think, 
I mean, it was it was almost like my brain was deceiving me because we hadn't had any family gatherings where I would notice his absence, you know. So I think for people grieving, it's always going to be difficult, that, that immense loss, you know, that gap, that person that's just not there and you don't believe that it's happened. Um, but with COVID, sort of not seeing anyone, not really acknowledging that he's not there. So, and in fact, I've noticed that as we're starting to, things are easing up, I'm actually starting to sometimes feel worse at times because there's been a lot of people talking about seeing their families, seeing their, you know, kids seeing their grandparents, um, people being re- reunited. And those things sort of then make you really sad because they're a reminder that, oh, yes, this pe- this person is definitely not there, you know, <laughs> anymore. Um, and I think when I feel those feelings, I am trying, you know, I've spoken to other people who have lost, um, you know, family. And, you know, I, I understand that you, you do have to kind of sit with those feelings. Um, but it's hard, isn't it? And sometimes you're just not up for it. And sometimes you're just like, oh, you know, today I, I can, I need to, I can sit with it for a little bit and then I've got to move on and do something. That's been the tough thing with lockdown, isn't it? It's kind of forced people that may have some form of unresolved grief um to actually just sit with their feelings and their emotions and 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 think <laughs> and you know you've got that space and that quietness you know well not all the time when you've got children but um you yeah, know when the world found, stops yeah i found that music is is tough with me because i uh, i suppose with the kind of noise that you get with kids and tv on and you know you're kind of tidying up and there's always shouting and arguments and stuff and then I used to sort of, you know, I would if I put music on now and specifically kind of there's a couple of tracks which are sort of classical music that my dad, that I sort of associate with my dad. Um, if I put that on, I feel it's almost like, it sounds strange, but it's almost like a deep dive. I'm sort of going into the grief. I'm crying. Um, it's making me feel very much in touch with the loss and the sadness. And then I can almost take the headphones off again, you know, blow my nose and go back downstairs and and and, and get on with it and I, I suppose what I've had what I've found I've had to do and I think many people have had to do is sort of you find little rituals within your everyday life that kind of allow you to to get that that emotion out um, and actually I would say I mean for me crying is very good like I you know I think it's it's completely normal and um you know I can I can be crying one minute and then within a kind of 10 minute period I could be completely normal and just sweeping up the kitchen floor you know it's kind of it's accepted part of and I, I think it you know never I would say to anyone who's grieving you know do what you have to do to get through and and some of the things I do are quite peculiar like um, I have one of his jumpers that um, was one of his favorite jumpers and I have it in a plastic bag in the cupboard and at the end of each day I put my head in it and I smell it um and it smells so strongly of him and I can really when I'm when I have that jumper I feel very much that he's with me um and it's very comforting and sometimes I might have a little cry as well but then again I can go and do the girls bath time and bedtime and I I was doing it and you know I I think I was thinking god if someone could see me now they would just think that I was losing my mind but you see, I think that we all adopt these kind of comforting rituals, and if it works, and it, and by works, that could mean that it, it lets you cry, it lets you accept some of the loss a little bit, um, it gets rid of some of that heavy feeling. 
And as long as it's not damaging you, because obviously the traditional route is often, you know, you turn to, you know, hedonism and drink and whatever. As long as it's not harming you, um, I just say go with it. Yeah, well, it's perfectly natural. I kind of do the same thing. I've got my dad's old barble wax jacket. And even though it's sort of, you know, nearly 30 years on, it still smells the same. And just putting that on or like <laughs> like you say, I may stick my head in the cupboard. And um and smell that smell and it just brings back you know so many different sort of emotions and memories whether it's sitting in the car on the way to football you know when we were on our way or or um just on like a walk or something like that you know so all of these little rituals like you say of things that you can do you know and and they're amazing um there's an amazing thing called a memory box which children um, a lot of charities do with children and you're just picking little bits of items that maybe belong to the person that's died and, and it's just a great way of you know remembering and giving you that space and I love the whole music analogy we'll come on to music a little bit later but you know that how it's sort of like you say just sticking a song on having a cry and having the opportunity to just turn it off and then going back to whatever you were doing is is great yeah I was going to ask you actually I mean does it does it get, because um, it's always so tricky, does it get easier over time? Because I, I, I suppose with my dad, certainly with the loss of him, that's still quite, it's still relatively raw because it's only like a year in. Mm. Um, oh, well, I, you know, now, <laughs> now more than ever, I talk about it obviously on my sort of Instagram and, and you know, I, it's basically, it, it never gets easier, but you find, you know, funny enough, I call my grief a coat, you know, I put it on and or I have to wear it in a, in a way and it's heavier on some days and it's lighter on others and that's okay. And, and you're always going to miss them and they're always going to be that gap in your life, like you said earlier. But I think, I think the best way to honor them is just, you know, like everything you just did, you know, sticking your head in that bag and smelling that item that smells like him and just remembering him and making him relevant in everyday conversation. And, um, you know, it's that the anniversary of my dad's death is on the 12th of May, which, you know, isn't far off. And, uh, last year I involved the children and we went and, um, they wrote a note on the balloons and just lift, you know, let them fly away. And, um, and it was beautiful. And so, I'm really enjoying actually making sure that he's relevant in everyday conversation um, because that sort of helps continue his legacy and his, and his memory, you know? Yeah, it is. It's so, I think there's that sort of, there's another edge of sadness to it, isn't it? When you've got children yourself um, and you, you then sort of, you look at them and especially even when they're having a really good time, you're sort of aware that your, you know, your parent isn't around to to enjoy it, you know, and you think, oh God, you know, my dad would have really enjoyed watching them now, and he would have really joined in. And and my dad was a really good piano player, sort of jazz piano player. So um, we've got his pianos in the shed at the moment, and every time I go in there, I just think, oh, it's, you know, I just they won't learn. I was hoping that he would teach them how to play piano, and he would play for them, and. It's it's all those little missed occasions that you you sort of feel a pang, don't you? Oh, they hurt. Yeah, they definitely hurt. You know, and um, for instance, Otis is he was selected for the Gloucestershire County Cricket, and I know he my dad loved his cricket, and I just think how incredible it would be if he he was here to 
you know, to to see that and see Thea do her dancing and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, those are the things that hurt the most. And um, you know, and they and they, they crop up on you, don't they? So you're like, wow, okay, like the piano with you. You know, it's how great it would be for for him to have taught them how to play it. But you know, yeah, yeah. My my um, my mum. So you know, my, my my parents were married very young, and then they separated. And um, you know, when I was still quite young, but she knew my dad very well. Um, and and she said to me on several occasions, she sort of said, "Don't dwell on it." You know, whenever I go down that road, um, and I think it's something that people say quite commonly to grieving people. She said, "You know, don't dwell." Um, and there's part of me when she initially said it, where I was annoyed, where I was just like, "What do you mean, don't?" well like I can't help it it's like you know it just comes up but I'm starting to understand it a little bit better in that I can spot if I I can go down a very dark hole and I can sort of so I sort of allow myself to have some of those those sad thoughts and then I do have to sort of almost make an effort to pull myself back up again Um, and I think the dwelling is what she means is like don't not think about it because you do have to think about it but just don't don't let it dominate to the point where, you know, you're going into this dark place. And I think that's, I don't know how disciplined people can be, but I'm getting a little bit better now. It's sort of going, okay, I'm aware that those thoughts are there, but I, at the moment I'm not, I'm not, I'm choosing at that moment not to really deal with that. <laughs> you know, and I'll come back to that another time. And part of that is just, is just kind of practical as well. Because if you've got to work and you've got to look after kids um then you, you you can't always do it you know you can't always get get right in there and 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 I'm not going to say indulge because that's not the right word but you, you you've almost got to go okay not that's not for now and maybe that's where the jumper ritual comes from actually is that that that's the time then you know okay now I can go get right into the sad thing all right now I'm back out again um I sort of almost think it's like swimming, you know, you sort of put your head under water and then your head pops back up again and then you go back down yeah. again. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's, you know, that's a really important thing for the listeners really is just, you know, giving yourself the space to feel um, your grief, but then also, you know, giving yourself the space to just continue with life and everyday things, you know, and that's perfectly fine, you know, because, you know, and if you do want to go down the dark hole or the rabbit hole, then, um, you know, make sure you've got some time to do it, you know, because once you come back out, you know, all the crying and the releasing of emotions is, you know, you, you do feel better, actually, after you've had a a good um, stomach-wrenching cry. <laughs> yeah, um, I've not, not cried for years. Like, I felt like, I, you know, I was getting a lot of crying um, out and I've actually now I'm like, okay, it's fine. Um, and I, actually I've let the kids see me cry certainly in the early days um, and I had friends saying to me you shouldn't do that you shouldn't show them you, know, you shouldn't be crying in front of them and I said no no I want them to see that this you know this that this is what happens when someone dies and it's completely normal yeah you know? no that's that is you know for me that is what we need to break through in terms of the stigma and talking about grief and opening up and letting children know that it's okay to express your feelings because if they can't see you doing it then they're not going to do it themselves you know they're not going to feel open to be able to do it and that's you know I think um I think it's it's important what you do yeah yeah I I'd had the experience with my stepmom and my sister relatively young and I think we didn't talk about it as a family, you know, and certainly my dad and I didn't really talk about it. 
And the day after, the morning after it happened, my mum and I went over to the house and we had, and you know, and I was, it was very traumatic because all of my sister's things were, you know, her clothes, her baby clothes were all on the radiators, you know, drying and the buggy was there and the bed was there, her toys. And we got these big rubbish bags and just put everything into rubbish bags. Um, And there was really like, it was kind of like, let's just get rid of all of this because this is too painful. Um, And now when I look back on it, I think, God, you know, A, that probably wasn't a good scenario for me to be put in, you know, to, to be confronted with that. But also there was just this sense of kind of, and it was all put up in the attic um, and kind of shut away. Um, And then obviously when my dad died, I I didn't get a a lot of the toys and things he hadn't kept, but a lot of the other bits and bobs and photos he had kept. And they all came out, you know, and I was kind of like, goodness, it would have been so much better if we'd tried to find some way of processing this after it happened. And perhaps even we never had any photographs of them out, you know, Um, so even just having a photo out or, like you said, you know, keeping their memory alive in some way, I think part of it was because of the nature of the way that they died. Um, it made a lot of conflicting emotions. But I still think, um, you know, I've now started feeling like I need to put pictures of them up as well because they were almost just shut away and as if they'd never existed, you know? Yeah, I guess while we're talking about it, you know, going back to that 14 year old girl experiencing that, you know, grief for the first time and, and traumatic grief, you know, how, how did you find sort of going back to school and, and returning to everyday life? You know, did, were you just ex- expected to just get on with things and, you know? Yeah, I mean, I didn't manage it very well. I mean, I, I think I continued living with my dad for a while and my dad threw himself into work. So he was an academic. He, he, he taught at a university and, and he was out of the home every day at work and sometimes not coming home until very late. And I would be going back to the house um, after school um, and the house would be empty. And I, I found it really, really difficult. And I think um, I went down the sort of traditional, I think it's the traditional kind of Keith Richards route where basically I started to go out more. I started to drink more. Um, and eventually, actually, I was doing my A-levels. I was just about to sit my A-levels. And then I ran away to Amsterdam and basically had a boyfriend there and didn't come back again. So I just kind of... Um, I mean, it's it's funny when I look back on it now because I had some real adventures. Like I joined a, a dance band. I had some sort of um, dance hits, sort of dance trance of 90s music and was and I did all this stuff um but I did go to quite a you know I'm sort of ended up sort of really overindulging in all sorts of ways and when I look back on it I sort of think god I was I was lucky to survive that period um I think really what what had happened was so traumatic that I sort of it manifested itself really with me just constantly seeking to be out of it all the time um and, and that went on for a good couple of years. And I think many people do do that. I mean, it's funny, I was talking to um, Carrie Ed Lloyd about kind of grief and, and she was, you know, there is that that typical hedonistic route, you know, that people people go hell for leather, um, you know, whatever their drug of choice is. Um, and, I, and the problem is it was a perfect storm because when you're young, you already got a sense of kind of like, oh, I don't care, you know, bugger all. 
And then if you combine that with some really difficult emotions and wanting to escape, um, you know, it can be really toxic. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I think that's one of the unresolved things that I found difficult with my dad dying is that I just wish we never really sat down and talked about it. And I think similarly, he bottled it all up, um, what had happened. And then unfortunately, he got into he was he had a drink problem towards the end of his life. And I think it was the same thing that, you know, we all try different ways to numb ourselves from painful emotions. And he's he was doing it, you know, with, with booze. I had done it in the past with, with substances. And one thing I've learned now, which is partly is just age related. I'm a parent now. I'm in my late 40s um, and I can't go down the substance route. I can't go down the hedonistic route. So I have to look for things like. It sounds really daft, but like a hot bath or a run or a really good box set or, you know, sitting in the garden and looking at birds. I've got to find ways. The option for me isn't there. You know, I don't I don't have any urge to suddenly take up drugs as a, <laughs> as a parent. Yeah, um, no, I know, I know what you mean. And you do have to find those sort of uh, those release things to do, yeah. haven't you? And it's, it's, it seems a bit lame because, you know, you're kind of like um, the options become more limited. But ultimately, you've, you you know, you want to survive for your own children. And um, and and also, I guess, like, like we've said already, I, I know that I have to process the emotions and that running running from them by escaping into other substances doesn't help. I mean, ultimately, the following day, they're still there, those emotions, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they are. But, you know, it's a common it's a common way of dealing with unresolved grief, isn't it? And or, or any form of trauma when you're a child, you know, a young person. Um so I want to talk about your book, um, which you've recently published, How to Be a Boss at Aging, which, you know, I think it's incredible that you've gone through this over the last year and you're now you know, well, you released the book already, but you've also, you know, you've got something else in the pipeline coming very soon. You know, how have you found um, writing over the last year through your grief? You know, has it been a cathartic process? It's been, you know what, it's been, I can really, whether you're actually a writer or not, uh, and obviously you are, but I think um, writing generally when you are having difficult feelings is really really helpful um so you know keeping a diary um you know just writing down those really painful feelings writing letters to the person that you've lost um you know trying to sort of get some of that unresolved feeling and and maybe guilt out of your system i i i loved writing the book and actually the book is very light it's not heavy it's kind of each chapter sort of takes on a different aspect of aging so there's stuff about kind of um cosmeceuticals there's stuff about kind of relationships um there's lots of funny lists of things that you you know you can try before you hit 50 um and I think one of the things that happened was that losing my dad suddenly made me realize that you know uh, if I didn't get some of this stuff down it, I suppose it makes you more aware of your own mortality you know and um, I know obviously you you know you lost yours at a younger age but for me I was kind of like god I really my writing I, it's almost like I felt you know I had to get a move on and I, I felt very creative in this time you know I really have um, and what I love the most which I suppose is why you you know you do this podcast is I love connecting with other people and 
And in the book, I interview lots of different people. I mean, one of the chapters is about grief, and I speak to Carrie Ed Lloyd. There's chapters about um, relationships where I, you know, talk to um, Dr. Karen Gurney. There's lots of stuff in there. And actually, it was helping me because I felt like, you know, in lockdown, we were so disconnected, and I was having these conversations with people over Zoom, and I was thinking, oh, God, you know, I'm really enjoying this. And I'm essentially realizing that I'm not alone, you know, that because once you start talking about aging, it's similar to grief, actually, everyone is going through it at one point or another. And everyone has similar kind of worries and concerns. Um, so I've really, I have really enjoyed it. Um, and actually, my dad, I've got, a, I've kept it on my desktop and my laptop. He was always a real champion of my writing. He absolutely loved it. And when I worked for Selfish Mother, I used to write stuff about breastfeeding or weaning. And it was not his bag at all. But he would always comment. There would always be a comment from my dad saying, I love this piece. I found it really informative. Um, and interestingly, I've got, you know, he wrote a little um, email to me saying, you know, I've just read one of your blogs and I, you're such a good writer and, you know, I'm going to support you as much as I can. And, you know, I, I think you're so brave that you're doing this. And um, sometimes, you know, I, I think if he was around, hopefully he would he would really enjoy the fact that this is, you know, this is happening um, and that I'm channeling it into into this thing, which ultimately I, I hope is going to help other people, you know, um, but it's also a great outlook for me because um, I, I just think, honestly, if, whether you're creative or whatever your bag is, you know, whether you love um, drawing or painting or creating music or or writing, these are all, you know, things that can really help you um, process feelings um, and for me ironically most of my writing is funny like I try and be funny it's not always funny but I think that even in dark times being able to see humor um, not you know I think that that's helpful and that was one of my coping mechanisms throughout my life actually was that whenever you know I, I suppose I've always been even at work I was kind of the person that would say something silly in a stressful situation to try and lighten the mood um and so I, I really firmly believe that you can talk about difficult stuff but you can also you can have fun in the next breath you know or you can crack a joke and that's what my dad's personality was very much like he had a very dark humor uh, he loved Monty Python um he loved he sort of loved anything that was yeah you know like you know I think in Monty Python they all get kind of crucified in life of Brian and they're they always look on the bright side of life you know and um, I mean, that's very dark, but, you know, again, it's just having a, a bit of a laugh at how tricky and difficult life can be. No, I completely agree. I think, you know, like you say, any form of creativeness is really helpful to, to anyone grieving. You know, it's, it's a way of sort of getting out the emotions that are, you know, somewhere in the back corners of your mind. And, um, and, and more often than not, you there is that sense of release when you've when you've written something, when you've drawn something, and and I think that's something we need to teach children and young people as well is how to express themselves better, you know, through through uh, those sorts of tools. Um, I'm just going to move on to a question um, from the children at Children's Bereavement Charity, Winston's Wish, and the first one is: How do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad? I think sometimes it's something really 
simple, like almost like at the moment, I think this afternoon, for example, I'm going to go and meet a friend um, and we're going to have a little walk and have a chat. So I guess I would do something like um, go for a walk with a friend. That's like a really uh, lovely thing to do. I I absolutely love, um, I mean, it sounds awful, but I love like watching certain TV programs. I mean, for for me, it's kind of escapist TV. So anything, anything sort of light and a bit silly, any reality TV, I love that. Um, and then funnily enough the other thing I quite like doing is kind of um sorting stuff out like you know I'm a bit of a I mean the house is a mess at the moment but I suppose just doing doing things anything in that moment ultimately that makes you feel a little bit better um helps and and a nine times out of ten that often involves some sort of socializing for me so seeing somebody and having a chat yeah I did just having a chat with someone or, you know, just a conversation is great for, for just, uh, yeah, a bit of a feeling happy, basically. Um, right. So we talked about it earlier, but what piece of music reminds you of your father? Well, it's funny. There's a, there's a couple of pieces actually, and I'm just having a look while you're talking, sort of having a look. Cause I, at my dad's funeral, um, I chose a Bob Dylan song, which was called um, A Friend of Mine, um, which I don't know if my dad had actually listened to, but he did love Bob Dylan and it felt very um, apt. And then another one, which I, I really love is um, he used, there's a, an artist called Bruce Coburn and there's a song that we used to listen to quite a lot. It was on an album when I was growing up and he's kind of a Canadian guitarist and it, it's called Loner. Um, and in fact, one of my friends made a, a video of my dad that we did an online kind of memorial a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he made a video and used this song. And my dad very much was a loner, like he loved his own company. And towards the end of his life, he spent an awful lot of time on his own. Um, and he, I think he was happiest, actually, when he was sort of sat with his laptop, you know, marking work, um, smoking his pipe. He was vaping, actually, at that, you know, towards the end of his life. And he was very happy in his own company. So that song, it, it's kind of a double-edged thing. On the one hand, it, it, you know, it makes me, it reminds me of him in a, in a lovely way. In another way, it makes me very sad because I think part of, part of what he did to escape his trauma was to retreat into himself, you know, to hide away and I think a lot of men do that so he he lost himself in work and he when I when I think about it now I just think about how much emotion he was carrying inside and how heavy that must have been um because I think towards the end of his life I really think you know you use the analogy of a coat and I think that coat was really weighing him down you know um and, and that that makes me sad to think about that so it's kind of it's a beautiful song, um, and I guess it's a reminder, really, of, of why we need to share our experiences. You know, whether whatever way you've lost the person, um, let's try and break some of the taboo. And, and certainly, you know, suicide is one of them that people don't really talk about. You know, murder, as you mentioned, it's seen. These are all sort of deemed as unpleasant things that we should probably not talk about. Um, and yet they do happen. People um, die suddenly people have addictions and they die and we do need to talk about it um and we need to accept that you know it's a challenge for the people left behind but 
also the one of the things I wish about my dad is that he'd had he'd felt he had the permission um to share more and that that might have unburdened him a bit but like your dad maybe he was from a different generation he was he's a he's a man and probably he didn't see it as being socially acceptable to talk about it yeah it's definitely a definitely a generational thing but it's still a thing happening today unfortunately so um yeah no that music sounds amazing um what do you do to remember your father on important days like his birthday um well the irony is is that my youngest daughter was born on his birthday so um she was she was born 21st of december um and there's sometimes you know when things happen and you sort of think is there some sort of cosmic weirdness going on here because she wasn't due on his birthday um and we had one birthday that we celebrated together with him um, um, when she turned one um and then obviously so last year's birthday was the first you know her second birthday and he would have been you know 72 and basically, you know, that was a that was a bit bittersweet. So, but then, you know, there was a little part of me. It sounds really corny, but I was kind of thinking, you know, I struggled to conceive, and sort of having my second daughter. I was a ripe old age of forty six by the time I had my second daughter, which is almost Janet Jackson land. Um, I was like, you know, it was a miracle in many ways that she came about, and it it means that on the twenty first, we will always celebrate her birthday. And it's kind of felt like it was almost a gift in some way. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there's some, I will always think of my dad on that day, but I also have my daughter's birth to celebrate. Um, And I don't know, it just seems like a very kooky coincidence. I think it's beautiful. You're sort of, you know, you're celebrating one life leaving this earth and then, you know, one coming in. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's, but it's just strange, isn't it? Sometimes I've—that's the other thing that's happened to me. I don't know whether it's happened to you. I've become more open to the whole notion of kind of an afterlife um, and symbolism. Um, you know, there was a very strange thing that happened with my my stepmom, where um, about a about a two months after my dad had died, this bird wandered into the conservatory, and it was a very rare egret which which isn't really found in the UK and she lives in Essex um, and it comes from Africa and my dad used to live in Africa and this bird wandered into the conservatory it's massive great big white thing and just stood in the conservatory staring at her and then went to sleep for three hours and then wandered out again and she never saw it again and you know I I did think it was I, I couldn't explain it you know and some people might just go oh, well that's just a fluke but she very strongly felt that it was something to do with my dad. And and when we Googled it, we saw that they were traditionally used as kind of symbols of the afterlife, symbols of, of new life. Um, and, you know, we both sort of said, oh, you know, if dad was going to come back, he probably would wander into the conservatory and fall asleep. <laughs> you know, so, you know this, I... I I love the symbolism. I'm constantly looking for symbols in everyday life or looking for ways that my dad might be trying to communicate with me. Um, and I'm very open to that, you know. And before I probably wasn't, before I was kind of, I, I would have dismissed it as hokum, you know. No, I'm the same. The other day I was sitting 
where I am right now and this white feather just slowly floated down into the garden and I think I was doing something you know a bit tricky at the time and I was getting a bit frustrated with myself and yeah this white feather just floated down and you know and it was like okay you know I'm here don't worry you know, and so I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm always, I'm well into the signs. <laughs> have you ever had any, have you ever had any experiences of kind of fe- dreaming of him or? Yeah. Yeah. Or... I, I mean, I would always have, and still to this day, I have a dream where he comes back and he's, but it's, it's like, he's totally changed. Doesn't really talk. Um, you know, I well, get. Because I have that too, yeah. where he won't, he won't talk. And no, then... yeah. It's, it's strange. <laughs> are coming to visit me in my dreams yeah but you know it's it's odd because he yeah he won't talk but he's there but he's he's changed as a person and I don't know what you know so he's but um you know uh, he'll he'll come in and out of 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 my mind more more than ever you know and and sometimes I'm just like even if sometimes if I stop and I'm like are you there what's you know, I'm just sort of thinking about something, and and I get a little shiver up my spine, and um, and I do, I do, I believe that um, you know, that they're they're here, you know, when you need them, you know, not all the time, but I, I do feel I sense when he is here, you know. Yeah, I I found it. Um, I was almost like understanding why people could go and see psychics. You know, certainly in the beginning, I started googling psychics quite a lot. Um, but then, but then, sort of, you know, I, I worried because I sometimes feel like they're kind of taking advantage of people who are grieving. Because the problem is, is that you're you're so eager to have contact with that person that um, anything, even quite tenuous, that they might say, you go like, oh yes, yes, that's definitely them, that's definitely them. But I still feel like, you know, I, I would love, I would love to go and visit one at some point. Okay, the. Next one is, what three things are you most thankful for at the moment? I suppose uh, one one is kind of my health. I think everyone is kind of feeling a bit like that. I had my first vaccine um, and I felt incredibly thankful to have that. Um, I think I was very anxious, like everyone was, uh, about getting COVID and my mum got COVID. So I'm, I'm definitely, thankfully, she came out the other side. But I kind of, health is a big one and... I think actually the kids, I mean, they, they've been driving me insane, like literally going mad because it's just been so chaotic and noisy. Um, but it has provided a really, uh, some some fun, you know, like some just some silly, it's very difficult, you know, when, when kids are just being silly and saying funny things, it's it's quite hard to be miserable then, you know, they sort of pull you, pull you out of it. Um, and I guess... Yeah, simple, simple things. Um, having a garden, you know. Um, I've put a bird feeder out, so I've become that total kind of lockdown cliche. And I put, I put the bird feeder down, and then no birds have landed on it because uh, I don't know. Maybe we have two very old cats, and maybe that's why they're a bit kind of like, no, I'm not going there. Um, but I kind of every morning I look out the back window and really hope. Because apparently if one bird lands on the bird feeder, they'll go and tell all the other birds that there's food down there. So if one of them lands, I'm like, go on, you know, go and tell all your mates. Because I love, I love the idea of kind of just what. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's that's not happening at the moment. But I think, um, yeah, I, it sounds such a cliche, doesn't it? But I think um, 
certainly I've spent more time sort of looking out into the garden in the last 12 months and looking up at the sky um, and just sort of appreciating that more than I did before. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on on the simple things. Definitely kids, you know, bringing a, when you're not pulling your hair out, <laughs> the sort of bringing a little lightheartedness to your days definitely helps. Um, the one thing I like to end on is, um, and it can be a difficult one, but if you could sit down with your dad for one final time, what do you think you might like to say to him? Um, oh, it's really tricky. I think I, I have this conversation quite a lot with him and I have a photo next to my bed and he's pulling a very funny expression, which is one that I associate from when I was a kid, you know, a very silly expression. Um, and the expression seems to be sort of saying, like, come on, don't don't take it so seriously. You know, you're, you're all right. Um, I think I would want to tell him that I loved him, you know, absolutely. I would want to tell him that it wasn't his fault, you know, what happened, um, that he didn't need to carry that, you know, anymore. That was a lot of heavy stuff to carry. And I think in, in retrospect, he felt very responsible um, for what had happened. And, and it, it made the end of his life really very sad. Um, and I, I guess, I, you know, I would just that he was loved, you know, that, and, and actually it sounds like a cliche. Everyone thinks their dad is the best dad. But I would have to say to him that he was definitely the best dad, um, you know, and he wasn't perfect. And neither am I as a mum, you know, for sure. Now that I'm a parent, I'm like, there's no such thing as, as perfect parenting. Um, so I think that's the thing I, I would love. I, I, I'd love him to know, you know, how much, how much we all loved him. Um, and in fact, I did tell him that the last time I saw him. Um, but I don't know if he took it on board. I think that's ultimately what we're left with is that love, you know, the love we had and and it, it lives on, you know, it's kind of, I will always love him and, and ultimately, I think that's why I want to believe in the afterlife because I have said to him a few times, I've said, you know, I'm not hopefully going to be joining in the near future, but I am actually looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And you're right, you know, the, the, the love is what we we're left with and and we carry and um yeah anarchy i just want to say a huge thank you for speaking with me today i know it's been an incredible conversation and the listeners will, would have got a lot out of it so thank you so much for your time well thank you for having me on it's been really good it's been really cathartic i'm going to go back to peering out the window looking for the birds <laughs>